0: Hello and welcome to the Women in Sport podcast brought to you by CSM Live. It's our February episode. We're now in the second month of this new year off the back of our episode all about pregnancy and exercise. We're bringing you another great episode, and this time we're looking at menstruation and exercise, which is something we've been looking to put a podcast together about for a while, Um, and we've now finally been able to get a really good lineup of guests together to talk about this topic, which has been getting a lot of buzz in the media, especially in sports media, so what a perfect time to bring people together to have a chat about it. So very excited to introduce our panel today. First up, we have Georgie Brimvels, who a lot of people um, may know from the sports sector. She's worked on the the Fitter Woman app and uh, also been working with a few football clubs. So hello, Georgie, and thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm also joined by Mia Slevin, and Mia is a Fitter Woman Woman ambassador and also uh, a a swimmer. Hi, Mia. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and finally, I uh, have Maddie Cope joining us, who is part of Lattice Training and also really passionate about cycle tracking and menstruation exercise. So, thanks a lot for joining us as well, Maddie.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Really excited to chat to everyone.
0: So firstly I know everyone has their own sort of individual stories in relation to the topic so Georgie I thought I'd start with you as someone you know working quite prominently in this area and um, maybe just start off by telling us about how you got involved in the topic and and yeah how you got to this point.
2: Yeah Um. so I guess that there are a few factors that brought me to where I am today and I guess, have encouraged me or um, made me really passionate about this along the way. I, as a young 11-year-old, started my period, was absolutely mortified, horrified, embarrassed, didn't want to talk to anyone, was definitely the first in my year I was still in junior school, um, didn't know what was going on, never really felt that it held me back because I was so determined that I love sport and it wasn't going to do that, but it was always on my mind. I was always terrified that I was suddenly going to start my period. I didn't track it. I didn't know what to expect. Um, And so I guess there's always been that kind of underlying current through my life. Like we never spoke about it at school, even though I I played sport a lot at school, didn't speak about it with my coaches either when I was younger, Um, obviously do now. so yeah that that was always like a big kind of an- anxious um element in my life I was always worried about it and then um I guess through my teenage years on into when I um left school went to university I was just hugely passionate about physiology how the body works what's going on I wanted to understand every single little element of the human body I remember getting this darling Kindersley human body book and I was obsessed with it I would literally just read it <laughs> day in day out but um anyway I then went to uni and did uh, physiological science and um, after finishing that which I absolutely loved my degree um, I did a, a little bit of work for another company but then I very quickly realized I wanted to go back and learn more about the human body like I wanted to understand how for my own training how I could learn most about my body but also I just wanted to learn more about the general principles of how our bodies work. So um I then started doing my PhD. And the first study of my PhD involved speaking to over a thousand women at the London Marathon like pre-event exhibition. And um the primary aim of my PhD initially was to understand iron deficiency and to learn more about iron deficiency. In the exercising population we know that exercising women are more likely to be iron deficient so i just wanted to kind of delve deeper into that and understand more about what iron deficiency in women looks like compared to men and in female athletes in particular but Obviously we know menstrual blood loss contributes to increased likelihood of iron deficiency. And so I had some questions in this questionnaire that I was giving out um, around heavy menstrual bleeding, again, increases risk of iron deficiency, but also around the impacts of menstruation on exercise. And honestly, it was like this four day journey of discovery where suddenly women were being questioned about their menstrual cycle and it just literally opened the doors for them to ask anything from all these crazy, like myths and, um, ideas, which people have developed over time because no one talks about it, that suddenly they were given the opportunity to talk to someone about it it was it was all coming out from can i do a handstand when i'm on my period to um i'm race i'm due to be racing on day one of my menstrual cycle should i be racing i've heard you should just stay in bed when you're on your period and all of these crazy things and i just suddenly thought oh my gosh yes okay i've spent the last five six years really studying this area through my degree through my a levels etc so i guess i have that relative understanding yet all of these people don't understand what's going on in their body. We know that typically sports science historically was based on a average 70 kilogram middle-aged white man. And actually we know that women are not just men with reproductive organs. And so I guess from there, I just really got this motivation to try and help as many people out there understand, you know, what the menstrual cycle is. And actually we know what, nutrition means for men what does nutrition mean for women what does recovery mean for women and how does the menstrual cycle impact that um and then I guess since there I've been working for a company called Orico um who helped develop this Fit to Women app and we've developed a whole uh, female athlete consultancy service where obviously Mia is one of our ambassadors, which is really cool. And um yeah, I guess now we're spreading to loads of different sports just to really help empower women and supercharge them effectively to understand what is going on inside my body. And not just having this feeling of I get such bad menstrual symptoms, you know, I can't exercise today or I just don't feel good. It's all about saying, well, what's going on and what can you do about it? Let's not sit back. Let's be proactive to manage this and use this to our advantage. Sorry, a bit of a long-winded answer. answer that.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. It's great, and I, I know we'll we'll touch on specifically about about the app in a little bit, and actually tracking your cycle. But Maddie, I wanted to ask if if it was a similar journey for you in terms of your personal experience is what brought you in because, like Georgie, there was this kind of mystery about it. I guess.
1: A little bit. I actually think mine was um, two-pronged because, um, I mean, like Georgie, I've been interested in the human body and sort of biochemistry for, yeah, I mean, since school. So I I actually studied chemistry at university and then got into the field of, I guess, more like sports science and physiology after that on a bit more of a self-taught basis um, through my role with Lattice Training, which is Training climbers from sort of recreational up to the elite level. And, but my personal experience definitely played a massive part because I, you know, I'm a kind of an elite athlete myself. And it kind of came together um, all at once in that I actually took part in a study. So unlike Georgie, who was like running the studies, I was working with climbers. I knew all about adaptation and recovery and the physiology and the demands of our sport. Um, But then I took part in a study which was looking at the impact of the menstrual cycle um, in an elite athlete population. And actually, that brought to my attention and really highlighted so much that I hadn't really fully understood for a lot of years. Because actually, for the majority of my years, up until maybe four years ago, I was on numerous forms of hormonal contraception so didn't actually have um an actual menstrual cycle nothing to track i didn't notice any symptoms and i actually came off it after quite a string of injuries and so um i went to see this physio and um you know lots of people might have different opinions on what this physio told me or his opinion but i guess he took quite a holistic sort of full body view on injury and something that he you know just posed to me he asked me whether I was on any form of hormonal contraception for a start um and I guess I'd never been asked this before by a physio (laughs) and I said yes and he did just suggest that it could be worth coming off it um to see um how my cycle was working and whether that might shed any light on how I could better find the balance I guess between my training and recovery and sort of how that might play into my injury. Sort of around the same time I actually had a friend who decided to come off contraception because um, she was hoping to start a family at some point and her period didn't come back and so Six months down the line, she started investigating this more and more and basically went for blood tests and found out that she had, you know, basically sort of postmenopausal levels of estrogen. So, climbing, um, as you can all probably envisage or imagine, is a weight dependence sport, And so, uh, yeah, playing with that weight side of the strength to weight ratio. Um, has played a big part in the evolution of elite climbing and it's definitely something that right now actually is really coming to the forefront of climbing culture and we're we're really questioning that and seeing how we can best support a healthy approach to that sort of weight side um but basically this really through the importance of tracking a menstrual cycle and understanding how it worked and um, into the forefront of my mind as someone who worked as a trainer and coach um, from that health point of view but then also from my experience in that um, study from a sort of performance point of view as well so I guess that's like those it's a bit like a two-pronged um, sort of way that it came to the forefront of my mind and I actually sort of through my work at Lattice, I looked like, who do I work with? So, climbing is a really male dominant sport and like it is changing, but the majority of people I work with are male. And then, I guess, from a more social side of things, I started to think, well, why is that? You know, it is changing, but maybe actually shedding some light on the female physiology and how we can best work with female athletes might help change that balance as well, because maybe it seems the sport seems more accessible, but also maybe we get better results from, you know, from a performance and experience side of things when you work with someone, if this is something you take into account. So, yeah, sort of similar to Georgie, but yeah, maybe a a little step behind from the sort of academic side of things.
0: No, it's really interesting. And, And Mia, obviously you being on kind of the other end of that now, Uh, Being an elite athlete, I think I maybe undersold you in the intro in terms of what you do. But we actually, you know, changed the the podcast recording because you were at a swimming meet last week. So, you know, competing right now at this point in you know this situation with COVID, but staying in a hotel as well at the moment. So very much kind of in the eye of the storm. So how did how is how is your career and your experiences as an athlete? I guess moving up the age groups, tracking your cycle. How has that been? Become part of what you do?
3: Um, well, here's a story for you. So when I um my first ever nationals, I was I was 12 and I started for the first time the day before my first ever nationals, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was absolutely clueless. I remember my mum saying, like, just sleep on it, you'll be fine. Like it might not actually be that. Um, and I remember I was, I was so nervous because I've never been to a nationals before and then I had that on top of it and I think when I was there, I didn't even think about it really. Um, but I think for such a big event, for that to happen, I think um, that's sort of like where it all started. Um, so I started using the Fitter Woman app, Fitter Woman app about two years ago. Um, so... At the start of each season, so for swimming, the season starts around September time. Um, and we always have like a meet at the start of the season, just like getting back into it. And I was um, on when we um, were at this meet and I felt very isolated. Um, my, my mood had changed. Um, my symptoms are really bad. Um, usually I'm a very like social person. Um, like it's swimming, we, we train together. So our group is very it's very tight, but at that meet, I just felt so isolated and like away from everybody. And um, my coach, he, he'd only been there, I think, about a year. Um, I'd never really thought about why I might actually feel different at different stages and why sometimes I might want to be around people and sometimes, sometimes I don't. And um, so, yeah, from there, we sort of, started to look into like, why that was happening. Um, and from then on, we've been looking, we've been using this app and we've been able to be like proactive around my training. And it's definitely helped me with my performance um, and being, again, like proactive with uh, the recovery side, the nutrition, um, and it's given me an understanding of myself so I can be better um, in the pool.
0: And have you found that it has improved your performances as well, either at meets or just in training? Definitely. Um, So we have like a
3: three-week block. So I do like three weeks of hard work. And then um, I'll come off for a week and like recover. So it gives my body time to just relax, like get any um, injuries or anything that happened the week before. Like I can just like regen for the week after and that week is always the week before my period so it sort of gets me mentally ready because that the week before my period is for me like it's when my symptoms are the worst so my mood will change I'll have symptoms um I just I just feel awful I feel heavy and so we've been able to work my training program like around that and so I know in that week even though I feel bad, I can still perform in the pool, but it'll, I'm performing it in a different way. So I'm going to work on like my technique, the processes in the pool, rather than trying to be fast. So I still know I'll get stuff out of my week, but my aims are different just because of the stage I'm in at, at that point.
0: And Maddie, with some of the the athletes that you've worked with, have they showed similar experiences to Mia in terms of how tracking may have improved things for them.
1: Yeah, um I think um very similar to Mia, we often work in blocks of training that have like a sort of loaded phase followed by a deloaded phase that allows you to yeah recover and um allows that super compensation. You know, so you when you come back to your next training cycle you are feeling sort of fitter or stronger. And I think in exactly the same way um, through tracking, you know, once you can have that discussion with someone to find what sort of like, you know, what sort of symptoms like reoccur most sort of prominently for them. I definitely think that within climbing, maybe within sport in general, some people I speak to, um, there can be a sense of finding this quite overwhelming. You know, they're, they're, they've got all their training, there's everything else to think about. Um, you're structuring your week. And, and I do get that probably a little bit like Georgie said for myself and probably someone like Georgie and coaches there can be a slight sort of tendency to get a bit of knowledge biased you know because we know a lot about it it's it's not that overwhelming for me because I have this whole understanding but for someone who you know um, because within climbing I guess obviously it is in quite a few sports now but it's relatively new like pretty much me and some of my colleagues have sort of Bought it in there and um, so people are still at the phase of like we're putting information out and they may be tracking you know they're gathering information and then we're starting to implement this in training and um, I definitely some of the feedback I've received is that it can be quite overwhelming to think about it all so I've definitely started that conversation as sort of track and try and pick the low-hanging fruit essentially you know no cycle of ours is the same you know life changes things that happen in your cycle symptoms can be compounded certain months and, and not other months so um, probably in this like Mia you kind of look for those low hanging fruit and by that I just mean the symptoms that are easiest first and foremost to change and that have the biggest impact for any person and I think obviously they seem quite common across the board and they're things like motivation and and recovery and and muscle soreness. Um, Sleep is like a personal one for me, actually. I always thought my sleep was bad and just kind of randomly bad. Um, and, you know, really a few nights bad sleep climbing, like a lot of sports, is like very high coordination, you know, like a lot of power involved and really being able to like um, grab holds, um, contract really quickly. And, you know, that really gets thrown off if you don't sleep well. And through tracking, I actually realized that basically in the week before my period, I'm like hot and restless at night. And I was like, oh, right, that's really going to impact my training, which is pretty sort of strength based, high intensity sort of coordination based. And so for me, changing that to my deload week so that I could just get the most out of the sessions I did at the other time um, really had a massive impact for me. And, yeah, it's very similar for um, the people I work with. Because strength, I think, is such an important element of training in climbing. Um, I think that really trying to like focus on when people feel that they get most out of those sessions allows you to really optimize that. And then similarly with Mia and her swimming, in climbing, you can look to take that deload week. And it's not saying don't do anything in this week. You wouldn't gain anything from exercising at this time or climbing that's not it at all either because I know that can for some people has been a slight misunderstanding they might have got when they start to look at all the information out there in in this kind of sphere now and so it is really trying to find the things that people during that deload week or the time when they feel slightly more sluggish or their RPE is a bit higher just for everything that they do or their coordination is reduced, it's like, what can we get out of your training in this time? Um, and I think that's the the other side of the coin that's the really important one for making sure the the sort of balance is maintained for, between sort of tracking and making changes to training and maintaining a very positive approach to it all rather than a sort of detracting um, element. So yeah, like working on technique, for climbing there's quite like a psychological component, like to stay relaxed on the wall potentially. Um, or something I know that quite a few people I've worked with have found useful is that rather than doing like quite high intensity sessions on the wall, so like on a climbing wall is to actually do really basic conditioning. and actually that they feel like they can go through the motions and get the most out of their session without those frustrations that can come, I guess, from a bad session, because of course there's wanting to make the most out of our training in terms of the adaptation. But I think the experience we have when training plays a massive role in our overall perception of our performance. And so I think actually trying to, realizing that there's no need to have those frustrating sessions where you feel like you are, you've taken a step back or like you're never getting better Um, yeah there's no need for those and I guess something I find and I think people find once they start tracking very empowering is that it really it actually helps you be a bit more objective I think with performance in general and see the impermanent nature of any one phase like I know I felt this maybe it'd be interesting for the others where you're having a bad session because it's a few days before your period like me like you feel heavy like bloated like sluggish coordinations completely off and i guess in that moment a lot of athletes whether they're elite or non-elite can feel like this is everything you know this is their performance i'm rubbish i'm never going to get better at this maybe this isn't for me you know all of those sort of negative thought patterns and i think being able to look back and be like oh no this is just these few days i can do these other exercises um, I think that that is a really, um, yeah, really empowering part of, of tracking.
0: And Georgie, do you find with those that use the Fitted Woman app it is because I, I think perceptions are that it is quite elite focused in terms of who should be using it or who does use it. But there are also you know, massive benefits and opportunity for people who are just exercising you know, more regularly rather than being elite, right, that that can access this? Yeah, 100%. And
2: that's a really good question as well. Like, I think I feel really passionate that actually is every woman's right to understand what's going on in their body. And I think it's, as I said before, it's nuts that actually we've got to this stage where at school you get taught about photosynthesis before you get taught about your own physiology. Like, it is crazy but that's just the way it's been. And I think the more we can get information out there that's accessible to every woman, um, the better. But uh, yeah, with Fitter Women specifically, so it is very much designed to be for anyone. So from someone who might exercise once a month to people who exercise like at Mia's level. Um, But I think, I think the, well, multiple things here, really, we know, so very much to what Maddie was saying, we know that women can quickly become discouraged by how they're feeling and mood changes, particularly premenstrually. And we know around, I guess, so what we call phase four of the menstrual cycle, which is the premenstrual window, that's where you are more likely to not want to exercise and then you break that chain. And then of course, it's hard to get back into it. And so a big part of our programme and our app generally is to provide the explanation and the understanding for why you may feel as you do and I think it is very important to appreciate that everyone is different so as Mia said her sort of pre-menstrual phase is where she typically doesn't feel quite so great Um, for others it might actually be when they're on their period but another part of our whole kind of mission is to get women to understand themselves so to know yes okay as a woman this is what thing this is how things may typically work but actually everyone's individual we talk about individualized medicine the whole time and this needs to be um, implemented into women's health. So by tracking your cycle, which you can do through the app and tracking your symptoms, you can understand that unique footprint that you have. Um, and then once you've got that understanding, you can work with it. So both Maddie and Mia just gave a perfect example of what they're specifically doing to support themselves. So they know that when they don't feel so great, maybe they work on something different or you know, Mia's got a whole range of different strategies that she puts in place to really help manage her symptoms and be proactive and just going to give a big shout out to Mia's coach as well because i think the two of Mia and jamie have worked together so hard to understand okay how can we make the most of this time where maybe mia doesn't feel quite so good like what can we do to alter um her training but also her environment to support her as well as possible and that's that's brilliant that's absolutely amazing and that in my eyes is kind of breaking down barriers but also withdrawing barriers it's actually opening the doors to help Mia perform and as Mia said she can perform at any time but it's just about not overloading it at a certain time where she may feel a bit more prone to fatigue um and I I would just say across the board so back to your initial question about for all women like I think the more we can normalize this area the more we can engage people to understand that actually okay yes there is menstruation but there's also this whole cycle around it so we talk about the menstrual cycle and people often just think you're talking about the period but actually hormones are continually changing and the hormones travel in the blood so as they change they can affect everything that's going on in our body from the way we think to the way we feel to the way we move to the way our heart beats to our body temperature as maddie said she gets hotter at certain times her sleep's disrupted at certain times and every every woman should have that understanding whether you know you want to perform in your um job in in the working world or whether you want to perform in your family life or just be a happy healthy person i think the more we can understand ourselves and be kind to ourselves the better and you know more now more than ever I think it's so important to be kind to ourselves but also to support ourselves to try and be fit and healthy both our brain and body um so yeah big big answer there but um essentially it I believe every woman should be understanding this and learning about it
0: yeah I mean it certainly feels like half of the conversation is about you know, the actual benefits that this might bring. And the other half of the conversation is what we've talked about in other areas of our work and the podcast, perhaps when we've put it under the umbrella of kind of puberty, which is normalising that conversation, normalising that understanding and, and putting together that education piece. Mia, are you finding that, you know, from your experience going from kind of teen sport a high level team sport school to now have you sensed a change in perceptions have you felt like it's normalizing obviously a male coach that understanding for him was probably a bit of a barrier to break down so have you felt like there's there's been growth in that definitely um
3: I think for me personally I think like Jamie's definitely had he's been a big part of that um obviously for a male coach like it's a very it's stereotypically it's a, t- like a very taboo topic um, but that's definitely been broken um, he's in our club especially um, most of the like all, well we're trying like we're trying to get all the girls to be like more open about it and um, like how they feel um, so like even in the younger squads like trying to get them to be more confident about uh, talking to the coach even even like the coaches like jamie's talking to them like making sure they understand how we feel in the water obviously um they they everyone feels different and you know yourself best but um they need to understand that they might not feel great every session and they need to know like they need to adapt some things here and there um so definitely like when I was younger that it was just never spoken about um and I've I've always had a male coach from when I was younger um to now and it's only since I've moved in from like junior to senior has these topics actually um come up and I think it's made a massive difference to my performance and it's it's helped me mentally um so obviously not every session is, is going to be 100%. Not every session you're going to be hitting the times that you want. And as you, as you get older, your outcomes are so important all the time. Like you want to try and be hitting everything you get, everything you can to try and get that end goal. Um, and so just having everything place so that it, it is possible um, definitely helps.
0: Georgie, Maddie mentioned about her experience and understanding of kind of injury and her body. And something that's come up a lot recently is the potential link between elite athletes getting injured while on their menstrual cycle. And obviously the research is still kind of advancing and no one's really found out enough yet to, I guess, make a a judgment call. But through your work, have you gained an understanding of of how this might be impacting athletes.
2: Yeah, um, that's a good question. And Maddy, um, really interesting to hear your experiences around hormonal contraception use and and injuries. Um, as, as you say, Florence, like, yes, there is definitely more work needed here to better understand a link or whether there is a link between the menstrual cycle or a certain time point in the menstrual cycle and injury risk or hormonal contraceptive use and injury risk. Um, But definitely (laughs) I'm seeing trends and patterns, which um, increasingly we need to understand better. Um, I think it's so interesting because we know, for example, women are two to five times more likely to sustain an ACL injury than a man. Historically, that's just accepted. And it's like, okay, cool. Next thing. That that can't be just an acknowledgement. That is potentially a career ending injury or a very severe injury. So we need to actually from a scientific research perspective we need to invest more in our understanding of this and you do need big data sets it is expensive to do research in women because you need to measure the hormones across different phases of the cycle but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it um that's something i'm really really hoping moving forward is going to be um tackled but as I said, I definitely am seeing certain trends. And I think if we just step back and look at what is physiologically happening throughout the menstrual cycle, we know, for example, premenstrually, as the hormones drop off. So to bring about menstruation, estrogen and progesterone are really high in the luteal phase, which is the second half of the cycle, which we would say phase is phase three. And then they drop off into phase four. And that decline in hormones basically causes the endometrial lining, so the lining of the uterus, to be broken down, to be shed, which is what happens when you menstruate. And that's accompanied by an inflammatory response. Um, And that can also be accompanied by sleep disruption. It can also be accompanied by a whole range of different symptoms, which could hypothetically suggest that there could be an increase in injury risk at that point. We also know that when people are menstruating, they can feel more fatigued. They can feel like their appetite suppressed. They can feel hungrier. They can their ability to um, keep stable blood sugar levels can alter. There's so many different factors which could all interlink to create the perfect storm potentially um, for injury risk or as Mia and Maddie have both said, they deload in that sort of pre-menstrual week. Well, there, if you keep loading, then there's already inflammation in your body. Add to that, and that could, again, hypothetically increase injury risk. Um, And then there's also some research that suggests that um, ligament laxity in this sort of... um, Uh, content of soft tissue can alter slightly at certain times alongside changes in neuromuscular firing patterns which I won't get too specific on but there is also some research to suggest that when estrogen levels are high injury risk may also um, be increased but obviously different types of injuries etc but one thing I would definitely say is that if an in individual is seeing regular occurrences of injuries and um, whether it's flare-ups of historical injuries or just a pattern of injuries just log it just track everything i think the more you can empower yourself with that understanding you will you know you're only going to benefit from it whether it's menstrual cycle linked or linked to something else i think it is really important um and I, i'm definitely seeing in my practice across soccer football basketball swimming track and field um, patterns that are just increasingly undeniable but even just having an understanding of okay yes your achilles might flare up at that time or your plantar fashion might flare up at that time your knee your hamstring tendon it almost gives that reassurance of okay this is normal for me at this time and also we can be you know we can prepare in advance we can get some physio planned we can look at the loading that they're going to be doing to manage that whole expectation and also just keep keep them on the pitch keep them in the water etc
0: yeah I mean we've seen in the in the media a lot of individual athletes and a lot of clubs and organizations talking about the levels that they're going to to support their athletes a bit more through this and, and really implementing it as part of the coaching system, you know, England women's football team being one of them, Chelsea, I think Bristol city. So obviously it's, I guess a bit of a trend, but I don't mean that in more of a fashionable way, but a bit of an advancement and I guess finally a better understanding of women's bodies and how that can affect them. And what are the things that you're seeing from those that are using the, the app whether it's your app or you know other ones out there like what are you seeing the impact on the day-to-day or the changes that that's then make like implementing in their their organizations yeah so
2: firstly i guess we have the app which is you know pretty generic but then we also have a sort of extensive support um like consultancy program which obviously Mia and jamie are part of but then you know that as part of that we provide a whole educational series which i'm so passionate about because i think everyone needs to not only have the information to the app but they also need to have like the general this is what's going on in your body this is why this is important this is what what's relevant here but um i think i would say that i mean most People initially when you start talking about this can be quite overwhelmed and daunted as as Maddie said, there's a lot of information there and I think for male practitioners, it's quite alarming to consider how you even get the conversation going so people listening to a podcast like this or um actually a couple of my friends and i launched a podcast um at the beginning of lockdown the female athlete podcast literally aimed just to say right if you're a male coach or if you're a female athlete or if you're a parent or if you're anyone out there who wants to know more this is this is just a starting point to understand a little bit more um so I think it, it is quite daunting from the get go, but I think literally just break it down and starting off by tracking your own cycle, understanding what's going on in your in your cycle. Are you having a regular cycle? If not, well, you should definitely be doing something about that. Um, and just just learning and seeing trends and patterns initially. And I think the other thing I I remember I did a uh, an interview with a Chelsea player the other day. So Chelsea is one of the teams I work with, and um she she was really blunt and um the person who was interviewing her said oh um so you know when you were first in, introduced to this area what did you think and she was like i thought like i thought that me because i did the education she was like i thought that she was basically mad and i didn't want to hear anything about that i just want to play hard every day and i don't want anyone to tell me that i can't and i was like that, that's actually really, really interesting. And hopefully I've changed my education sessions a little bit since then because things are changing all the time. As we learn more and more, things are changing. But she then said, I then realised or she then realised that actually coming at it from a performance angle, not, like it's actually so important. And she it's not about saying no. It's about saying yes, yes, yes. It's about saying yes, yes, yes in the right way. And like almost... Applying the performance lens to everything that we're doing is is absolutely crucial, whether it's in your everyday life, as I said, whether it's in your working life or your sporting career it's what can what can you do to better yourself every day in with this in mind, so let's have some context here, and I think um in the teams I've worked with or the clubs I've worked with, I've really appreciated that actually women or the the there needs to be again this appreciation that women are not men with reproductive organs women across the board that female health needs to be considered it's just it's women aren't weaker women aren't less powerful women are just different i mean women are less powerful in terms of maximum power but women are different they're not uh, a sort of suboptimal man women just have different requirements and we need to work with them to optimize Effectively, every aspect of what we're doing, and I think once people understand that, then they're now that that player that I was talking about. When we have one-on-ones, I'm literally like, get out the door, like your time is up, because she just wants to learn more. So I think it's just framing it in the right way, and and back to what Maddie said, not make it overwhelming.
0: Yeah, Maddie, I wanted to kind of wrap up by asking you and and Mia, what would you like to see the sports sector? take on and change because most people who listen to this podcast do work in sport in some capacity they might work for a national governing body they might work for an agency or they might run a club or small organization so what do you think are the tools that they could take to empower the people not just the athletes but also the people they work with we talked about workplace you know what are the things you would recommend people engage with
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think the, you know, something like the Fitter Woman app, or there's quite a lot of um, sort of more educational resources appearing online. And maybe it is that within different organizations, so say at Lattice, there is a team of us, and it is our job to make sure that everyone else knows about the menstrual cycle, the impact it might have, um, how to have open conversations about that. And so maybe it's actually, we're moving towards a time where you assign that to someone as their role um because I guess it really gives it the respect that it needs you know I guess probably all of us have put quite a lot of time in to researching and understanding the female physiology and the breadth of symptoms and where they might come and so I think that I mean it sounds like obviously Fitter Woman has its like consultancy area there so that might be the um, different organizations look to um, outsource that, which would be great, um, but potentially it's something that will evolve within, um, within organizations as well. And then I think actually almost um, a bit of a, a practice as you preach. So like within Lattice and I'm sure within both Georgie and Mia's um, sort of sporting lives, um, you spend a lot of time researching it, you work with people one-to-one on it, but for us, like in the office, actually, just um, because we are, uh, we've got male male coaches, majority male coaches, actually, and there is a number of female coaches, um, sort of along that same vein that climbing is quite a male-dominated sport. And I think actually being like, you know what, I am going to openly talk about this right now, my personal experience in this office, because... That is what will enable those coaches that I'm talking to, majority male coaches in the room, to feel more comfortable with it. Um, because it's all very well, I guess, maybe having some email chats over it or putting together a questionnaire that you send to your athlete, you know, like an athlete monitoring sheet or something like that. But I think when we, where we really want to get to is that actually this is a very normal piece of conversation something that you would happily say a, a male coach would happily just talk to their their female athlete about in a really like comfortable setting because I think often the way someone talks about something or introduces a certain topic it will really the other person would feed off that so you know I think we obviously want coaches to be as comfortable in that area as possible
0: and Mia what would you say having been an athlete that's gone through this experience that's had experience of feeling isolated? Well, while going through their cycle, what would your advice be to those that are working in sport currently? Um, I'd say
3: educate yourself in the area. Um, like, I, it was, it was just never spoken about. Um, and I never, I never even thought to have a look in that area. Um, I think because of the male background, like the coaches, um, it was just never something that came up um, and I think I think planting the seed of why it happens, what you should be doing in certain stages, why you feel that way, what like look at the bigger picture, um, you need to understand how you feel in certain stages. I think learning that at a young age will definitely help any athlete moving up older past the stage of... Sport when they're just doing it like for leisure, for fun. Um, I think starting it early, I think personally, is going to be so beneficial for everybody. Um, obviously, for me, it's been good. I've learned when I'm a bit, bit older, um, but I, I wish that I had it there when I was growing up, when I was starting, rather than I'd done it and I was reacting to what had happened at the time. So I was, again, I was prefer to be proactive and so I knew what was coming rather than oh no it's here I don't know what I'm doing now I think that for me is the most important thing
0: well thank you so much guys for for sharing your knowledge and wisdom on that it's been really really insightful Episode. And I'm sure lots of people will gain so much more from this as well in terms of what they can be doing, what they should be doing, and just understanding their own bodies as well. So thank you so much. Um, thank you as always to you guys for listening, and thank you to our sponsors CSM Live for their support. And as always, keep your questions and comments coming in at support at womeninsport.org, and we look forward to seeing you all again next month.